about not just Monsanto, but all the other big modified food companies and the whole idea of the progressive scientific farming and what it's doing across the planet and what's already done to us in the Western Hemisphere. Nothing happens by chance in a system that is based truly on eugenics and survival of the fittest, a history that's been well hidden from the general population and a history that you're not taught at school. The reason you're taught to go to school is to give you a fake reality so you all think the same nonsense. Back with more after these messages. and inferior breeding, and they wanted to breed out inferior genes in society, 
their big fear being uh, that the inferior genes would eventually intermire with the superior and drag the superior down. So they went full tilt at this and brought out lots of books. And as long as you say this is a scientific fact, you can prove anything. Just like religion before used to say the same thing when it was a papal bull. Only part of the truth was the bull part. And scientific fact is just the same. It's used in the same way. So today they're, they're on a roll to bring down the inferior types. And here's an example of it too. And this is from the BBC News. Saturday, 26th of April, 2008, about what's happening in India. And what's happening there has been exposed, even though they've been doing it to the West for over 50 years. Punjab reaps a poisoned harvest. So the governments of many poor nations are alarmed at the rise in food prices. There are even problems in the Indian region of Punjab, where science once seemed to have found answers for a hungry world. The first thing Satpal Singh sees when he walks out of his bedroom door in the morning is a gleaming tractor without a speck of mud on it. It is given pride of place and washed down before being put away for the night in his garage built in the middle of his house. This is a sign of the wealth that has made him and others the richest farmland in India. Mr. Singh's front yard have a dozen cows to content in a maize-based mix processed in his own machine in the corner. But behind this ideal, serious questions are being asked about farming practices in Punjab, which have consequences for the looming crisis in world food supplies. And it boils down to pesticide fears. Before Mr. Singh's father died young of cancer in 92, none here suspected that the technology that had brought wealth to these farmlands in the 1970s might have a downside as well. The new strains of seed and chemical pesticides and fertilizers certainly brought high yields. They called it the Green Revolution. We did the same thing here. They called it the Green Revolution. That was a big PR job put up by multi-millions of bucks by the big companies behind this with the chemical industry and so on, and Monsanto and all the rest of them. It says here, but today the food the cows eat and the milk they produce along with the water the cows and Mr. Singh's family drink all show high levels of pesticide residue. As well as being a successful farmer, he works part-time as health coordinator in the village. He took me to meet a group of farmers who all spoke of health problems and knew of death they believed came from the use of pesticide sprays. Now, it's got to be realized, too, that Monsanto tried to get uh, India to use all their modified seeds with the Terminator gene in them. That way you go back to your master every year. You can't you keep the seeds that don't work the next year, so you go back to the master for a seed, you see. And that's what it is. It's a master-servant relationship. And hundreds of farmers in India committed suicide eventually as they lost their farms. The government were on the side of Monsanto. Quite easy in India. You just bribe the government. Everybody bribes, every, bribes everybody in India. That's just the way it is. And they eventually forced the farmers to use all these modified seeds with all the toxic chemicals they need to grow them. And we'll find, find now that the Rothschilds family are heavily involved in India, buying up all these lands that were once used by the farmers, the ones who all committed suicide. I'm not kidding, there's hundreds and hundreds of them, and they're buying them up for peanuts, which is a standard Rothschild procedure. 
says here, no protection. The, pr- the problem here is many other places in the world is the benefit of high yields from new seed types was not long-lasting, and the pest kept ahead of the pesticides. An old man suffering from cancer told me that in recent years he's had to spray round the clock to keep the pests off his wheat. The sprays all have instructions demanding that they should be only used with face masks and protective clothing. But the farm workers here do not use protective equipment and they spray far more than the recommended amounts. The cause of cancer is always a contentious issue, but a new study from the Punjabi University at Patiala has ruled out other potential factors like age, alcohol intake and smoking, concluding that the, the way the sprays are used is causing cancer. Well, what's so amazing about this, really? Well, what is so amazing? We found that the pesticides that were tested back in the 50s and 60s on various rats and mice and all the rest of it causes cancer. We found that it does the same thing with human tissue. And this is just proving once again that these chemicals are deadly. You don't find the elite eating this kind of food, food coming from fields with modified crops and sprayed with all these carcinogens. The elite have their own organic farms. In fact, the elite of Europe, you'll find, uh, have had the, they have tenant farmers. They've had them for centuries. Look at the, the ones under Prince Charles. He owns about 40 or 50 of them. They all do across Europe. And they have uh, cows which are naturally raised. All the, all the food is naturally raised. The crops they have have no chemicals put in them high maintenance for sure, manual labor, and they have all the, the manual labor they need. They get paid peanuts. They've even done stories about Prince Charles's tenant farmers in new, British newspapers. But that's what they eat, you see. And you find it's the same with the high-based politicians and so on. They're let in on the good stuff, the good stuff. Meanwhile, doctors are being turned out of universities today being told that one in two people will die of cancer and that this is quite natural. Now, if that statement was made to doctors uh, 50 years ago or even, e- even less, they'd been bowled over. So anything could be made normal depending on how it's taught. And everyone who goes into university never realizes they've been taught new normals with every intake and output. That's how simple it is to control the minds of so-called professionals. And we are dying off because it's planned that way. It's planned that way. Look into the League of Nations. People should look into the history and the lead-up and the big players who put together the League of Nations. The League of Nations was the precursor of the United Nations. From the very beginning, one of its main projects was to reduce the population of the world. And they were rather blatant about it, because they did mention by all means possible. And since the boys behind it all who set up the League of Nations were all eugenicists, they truly believed in the white Nordic race, but not all of the white Nordic race, only those who'd proven by special selective breeding that they were fit to survive. They believed in poor white trash just as much as everybody else did. And they didn't put them on a higher level than any other culture. These characters 
as you go back to at least the 1700s with their publications and that they put together the League of Nations which became the United Nations which is a front for the same powerful, powerful families with the same heritage and their own inner belief system. They believe that the people who pick their own partners for emotional, say, reasons are simply inferior types who produce inferior types and that all partners must be selected specially for specific qualities to ensure that the offspring are superior themselves. And these characters are now running the world and they're also inbred psychopaths. Back with more after these messages. are going there's so much to choose from because everything is very predictable so predictable in fact I guarantee you as you rush this terrorism nonsense ahead and and bring up the monetary crisis to the crunch and get people complaining and all the rest of it and lots of stories in the newspaper at the right time they'll tell us in 2010 we're now completely unified completely integrated one big block in Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. That was always the agenda anyway, you see. But they're going to use this as a way. And my goodness, we have to compete with the EU and Europe, and we have to compete with China. We're just not big enough, being all separated and everything. So it's much easier when we're all integrated. It's so darn predictable, it's boring. It's boring to live through this agenda when you've studied it all, you've read their documentations, you know how they work, and you watch it come into action. It becomes incredibly boring, because as his little children had written it, but unfortunately, they're not so much childish. They do understand us, the people, because we, the people, have been dumbed down to such an incredible extent, they can do pretty well all they want to us, and no one really cares. They're all living in fantasy land. Right down to the black uniforms coming back to some parts of the U.S. And this is a, another little article here. It's from foxnews.com. It says, Massachusetts police get black uniforms to instill sense of fear. This is the headline here. Now, I mentioned years ago when suddenly overnight the cops across Canada started wearing the same black uniforms we'd seen in some parts of the U.S., with the pants tucked into combat boots and all the rest of it. And I said at the time, I said on the air, this is, this, this is what the hangman wears, the executioner wears black. That means that they've moved from blue to serve the people to black to threaten the people. And sure enough, that's when they called it law enforcement instead of police services. And here it is in the Massachusetts police. It says, get black uniforms to instill sense of fear. That's Tuesday, April the 24th, 2008. 
Springfield, Massachusetts. It says, Springfield's men in black are returning. The city's new police commissioner, William Fitchett, says members of the Department Street Crime Unit will again don black military-style uniforms as part of his strategy to deal with youth violence. Fitchett's predecessor, Edwin Flynn, had ditched the black attire as part of an effort to soften the image of the unit. Flynn left Springfield in January to become the police chief in Milwaukee. Sergeant John Delaney told the city council hearing Wednesday that the Stark uniform sent a message to criminals that officers are serious about making arrests. Delaney said, a sense of fear has been missing for the past few years. A sense of fear. We're supposed to fear uh, these uh, guys who get the military crew cuts and want to wield power, the kind that they used to see bullying people around in the schoolyards. Uh, this is quite amazing what's happening, and we allow it to happen. And, the, and it works. It works so well. Most of the public didn't even notice in Canada the uniform change. They didn't notice that one day the cops had light blue shirts on, and, and some of the next day everything's black, including the tie. And their pants are tucked into combat boots. And I walked down a little spud town, Ontario, and saw this. I'd read a little article in the paper, one paragraph, saying that you'll see police in groups of threes or fours uh, dressed in this new attire to customize and acclimatize the public to seeing them wearing it. And when I saw these characters walking along, I didn't know if they were ready to go to a battle or what, because that's a military uniform. And when you see military uniforms patrolling the streets, and this was in 98 before 2001's big so-called terrorist attack, I, I knew something big was coming down. And that's where we are today. We're in a police state, believe it or not, with ever-encroaching powers given to them, uh, and our private lives are, are... We don't have any private life. It's as simple as that. Most people don't even seem to mind giving it up. They do it voluntarily. And those people are goners. They're already gone. So I don't waste my time with them anymore. I'll go to the phones, and we've got John from Colorado there. Are you there, John? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, I just had a question. Um, I guess about a week or so ago, you and another caller were talking about a book called The Rich and the Super Rich. And I just I got myself a copy of that and started reading it. But I, I wanted to know what your take on it was. Is the author, like Carl Quigley, where he's... You know, guy who was formerly in on things. It wasn't the it wasn't the rich and the super rich of Carl Quigley. Uh, no, no. Th I'm just asking if this author is similar to Carl Quigley, in which um, I, I couldn't really say if he was in on it or not. Okay. I mean, Quigley he broke the ranks and, and kind of came out and admitted at the beginning of the preface of his books that he was definitely a member player. You know? Okay. I, because I was reading reviews and they say. You know, some of the people say this is a this is a guide for the rich. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't know if it was actually he's writing it as a book aimed at rich and how to. You how remember to, too. You remember too. A lot of books out there are written in such a way you can read it from both sides. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. All right. So that, that's Thanks. probably how it's done. Back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth. different factions vying for this power. You've always had different factions in the past. 
up until about uh, the 20th century. And the victors in the 20th century consolidated their powers, and now they're simply wiping out smaller, the smaller fry, maybe powerful, wealthy people and families, but they're wiping them out to take over the whole world. So you have one very big gang uh, against uh, much, much smaller gangs. That's all you've got left. Thanks a lot, Alan. Thanks for calling. And I've got John from Florida. Are you there, John? Hello. Hello. Hello, yes. John? Um, Alan? Yes. How are you today? I'm surviving. Good, my friend. Um, on your webpage, right, um, you got a logo. Yes. Of, of a ninja man kicking the one-eyed bandit of the capstone of the pyramid, okay? Yep. Yeah. And um, this ninja man is kicking... Mm -hmm. which depicts force yeah. against the one eye, okay? Yeah. Um, one of your callers on Monday, okay, was talking about Carl Quigley. Yes. And um, the one man's burden. Mm -hmm. And he finishes conversation by admonishing his, um, the audience mm -hmm. to take a mental approach towards this whole scenario we are going to be facing, okay? Yeah. And um, to which you disagreed, mm -hmm. and you told him that we have to take this a higher level, okay? Yeah. Now, I kind of agree and disagree in his approach where, yes, we have to take a mental approach and awaken ourselves, okay? Yeah. But you went to tell him that we have to hold our leaders accountable. In other words, you were saying that we should ask them which kind of organizations they're members of, members of okay? Absolutely, yeah. Um, until we pass that threshold, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, um, to which I kind of disagree because maybe on your side of the border that might be still feasible, okay? Yeah. But here in America, we have passed that threshold, um, Alan. Yes. And the, the reason I say that is because I don't, re I don't know if you remember a couple of months ago, the Judiciary Committee issued a couple of subpoenas to Harriet Myers and another of his cronies mm -hmm. to present themselves and give testimony to Congress in regards to the firing of 10 lawyers from the Justice Department. Okay? Yeah. yeah. And they declined to show up, and they gave the Congress the finger, okay? Yeah. Yeah. And such have been numerous cases where the executive branch has given the Congress the finger mm -hmm. on various issues, okay? Yeah. Now, if this is the executive branch and the leaders of government doing this, what do you expect the civil servants are going to do? Yeah, I know, I know. You know? You know it, it was the same in ancient Rome. Ancient Rome ran by, by well-placed bureaucrats who knew who their masters really were. And it's the same thing in the United States, really worldwide, but definitely more so in the United States. And they, they tend to show it there much more openly, that they're one big club at the top. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As I see, Congress has been totally, totally obliterated. Yeah. The, the only thing that Congress does nowadays is 
collect a paycheck at the end of the month. They do. They do and, with and the invest, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and invest in the, in the military-industrial complex. Yeah, both sides, all, all people, it doesn't matter which bunch of multimillionaires you vote in, uh, mm-hmm. they're all involved in the same big game. And as uh, Carl Quigley said, he said, it doesn't matter left or right, he said, we always put our own man in at the top from the Council on Foreign Relations, he said, and a few advisors. The rest of them, the lesser politicians, are allowed some free competition amongst themselves, but that is all. So it doesn't matter um, who you vote for, and Quigley admitted that. Now, remember, he was the historian for the Council on Foreign Relations. They had their own historians building uh, and down in the States, the Harold Pratt building, and he was given access to all their records. And he said in the 1960s, he says, this system has been run this way for the last 50 years. Yeah. The last time you and I spoke, um, I had asked you how we're going to tackle this thing, and you told me that we're going to have to weather this underground, okay? Yes, there's no doubt. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, and the reason I started my conversation with, the, with your logo is that um, I realize they've got the, the biggest weaponry in place, okay? Yeah, they do. They've got the, the panoptic infrastructure in place, okay? Um, and um, some say that force will not do it, okay? Mm-hmm. To which I kind of agree. But yes. um, over the weekend, I got, um, I smelled some, uh, some, some fresh sea breeze. I came across two MP3 files of uh, interview that Jeff Rents did with a guy by the name of Benjamin Fulford. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From, from Japan. Yeah, I saw that and, uh, interview. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that gave me some hopes there where this guy is willing to take on the eye of the pyramid full force. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, I, I was kind of hesitant to go through the interview, but let me tell you, I went through the, the six hours of MP3 plus a 40-minute video that he did. Um, I don't know if it's a hoax or what, but at least... I, I, I sway towards the latter part. I think it is a bit of a hoax, to be honest. You don't just get mm-hmm. an interview with David Rockefeller. And you see, these characters, when you get an interview with the big boys at the top, their, their managers will ask you uh, what questions you want to ask, and then they'll, they'll stroke out the ones they don't want you to ask. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're not allowed to ask these questions unless it's, it's already prearranged. Well, uh, I wasn't too impressed with the interview, I will tell you, but I was kind of impressed with the interview he gave to Jeff Friends, where this secret society from China and Japan are willing to take on these big wigs of the big eye because they know that they're going to use ethnocentric biowarfare against them, you know? Yeah, oh yeah, we're, we're getting it used now. In fact, it's, it's already being used. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and they know that in the Far East. They know that even the SARS outbreak uh, specifically was designed to, for the genes of Chinese uh, and Chinese-descended people. Uh, so that, that's a fact that's well known. Uh, so they understand that. Um, but the whole world hasn't even seen the high weaponry yet. We haven't seen the full force of technotronic warfare, which they're using on a low-scale level right now across the planet. 
Yeah. Well, I would surely love to see because he claims he's got a hundred thousand army strong of ninja assassins mm -hmm. willing to take on these big wigs of the Illuminati. Mm -hmm. um, if biowarfare is declared against the Asian population, you know. Yes. And uh, I would really love to see that enacted, you know. Um, because I tell you, uh, I don't think the Gandhi approach is going to do it, you know. Uh, the Gandhi approach uh, won't, won't work with psychopaths, uh, and right. it won't work when you have a population who are so out of it, they don't care what's happening to other people. Because these guys have declared open war on us, um, yeah. um, Alan. These guys view us as the commoners, the yes. cattle, the sheep, the yeah. useless eaters. That's right. And they abide by a philosophy of the strongest will survive, you know? That's correct. And, They've made no, um, made no secret about it. H.G. Uh, Wells was the main propagandist for this establishment, and he called it the open conspiracy, meaning they published the, what they want to do, and they've let the public know. And it's almost a legality. They're very legalistic. They do tell you what they want and what they're going to do. And when there's no reaction from the public, then we've just acquiesced to their demands. We've given in and accepted their plans. That's how legalism works. Yeah. Well, um, as I see it, um, um, Alan, shots will have to be fired and blood will have to be shed. It's going, know, to happen. It's, it's, it's going to happen you know? because they know it's going to happen. In fact, they'll bring it on uh, mm -hmm. with, the, with the food riots, which will come uh, down the road. They've been building up an internal army for the last 30 years to deal with this. And, and uh, cops now have... Uh, uh, they're, they're really just soldiers now, policemen. They're given mm -hmm. uh, SWAT training and, and, and uh, uh, military combat training. Um, they're integrated really with the military. So they've been planning this for years, and you're, unfortunately, you're right. Um, the cops themselves are getting taught now that this is inevitable. This mm. is inevitable. Well, um, hoax or no hoax, I, I hope this is uh, something, some light down the tunnel, what this yeah. guy says, you know. Um, I don't know, I guess time will tell, you know. Uh, time will tell, and I think people, as I say, have to start to reclaiming their rights, even, even on a personal level. We can't, we've got to stop waiting for saviors to do it for us. It doesn't happen that way. Yeah, I guess nobody wants to be the first one to fire that shot that's or, or to die, you know? That's correct. You know? Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, my brother. Um, give thanks, okay? You hang in there. All right, take care. Bye now. now I've got Maggie from Texas. Are you there, Maggie? Uh, yes, I am, Alan. I have... Uh, Two questions, both dealing with uh, subjects you've covered tonight, if you have the time. The yeah. first one is regarding Terminator seeds. Where do the replacement seeds come from that the farmers go to Monsanto to get? How are mm -hmm. they created? They're especially bred by Monsanto. They're created by Monsanto's own uh, botany gardens and all the rest of it. But is it a separate, a whole separate stock of? Plants, just endless numbers of plants. I, I guess it must be. They're very secretive about it. All we know is that when you buy the ones with the Terminator gene, they won't reproduce a second time. Right. So perhaps Monsanto is uh, somehow uh, cloning those by or splitting them or something and getting new stock all the time. They, they must be. Uh -huh. They must be. Okay. 
my thank you. Uh, my second question is uh, regarding uh, what you you mentioned tonight, and your uh, last caller also uh, touched on on this. Um, the um, masters of this one-world plan believe strongly in the uh, superiority of the Anglo-Saxon race. But then on other occasions, you've said the big boys are all the same at the top, yeah. including China and Japan. So I am yeah. just wondering if that is indeed the case, although you've just suggested that the, the Anglo big boys are lobbying race-specific weapons at the uh, Asian big boys, and I'm just wondering how they, the Anglos, could ever bring themselves to deal mm -hmm. with even the leaders of what they consider an, affair, an inferior race on a, uh, yeah. an equal footing. Yeah. Well, if you read the books, there's two books put out by H.G. Wells, and he worked for the Royal Institute of International Affairs. He also worked for the Fabian Society, which was authorized by the mm -hmm. Crown to exist to lead, to lead the left wing. Uh, towards a new man too that's the whole uh, thing about the, the Fabian Society it wasn't just to, to create workers it was to create a new breed of workers and the Superman image but he published a two, a two part series called History of the World History of the World mm -hmm. and his son finished the latter chapter now his son remember was left with, to train under Pavlov Wells uh, took him to Russia and he oh, trained under Pavlov I didn't know that yeah, and um, I think he became a zoologist or something in the, the U.S. afterwards. But anyway, in History of the World, Part 1 and 2, the original two volumes, the second one, they were compiled into one volume. Uh, he, tell, he lists out what they'd found, where, where they used to believe that the Anglo-Americans did eventually bring in a certain few other peoples that had proven their worth. Uh, hang on, okay. and I'll go into more of this after this break. survive at the top and those who wouldn't and as I say that H.G. Wells wrote a two, two volume work, History of the World Part 1 and 2 and in the first edition he had it listed uh, those groups who'd be allowed to survive and eventually join the Anglo-Saxon elite group on certain conditions and the conditions were that they should have proven their, 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 their special selective breeding by breeding the right partners over a period of at least seven generations. That was very important to them. And he said they, they used to think it would have to be only Anglo-Saxon, but then they, they said that they looked around and saw other peoples who had also done similar types of special breeding. And he mentioned, number two, they would bring in the financiers from the Jewish race, but not all Jews. Most Jews don't specially select selector mates, but the high aristocracy amongst them do. And then he went on to list the other peoples of other countries, including some of the, the, those in the Middle East as well, that hung on to special breeding and power and money for seven generations and hadn't married commoners, as they said. Uh, so that became a criteria to belong to the club. And, and so uh, as time went on, you started to, to accept the fact that they'd have to bring on other uh, rulers from other nations as long as they followed the right criteria 
and uh, they would be allowed into this big global club and global society. So they've had that for quite a long time now. And what they're wiping out across the world are the little or the smaller gang leaders who, who don't have those credentials. They don't have a history of special breeding for their seven generations and the acquisition of power, which they've held on to for, gen- for seven generations. Do you understand now? But it, se- it does seem to me that China, the psychopaths at the top of China, must realize that they're in a position to really challenge and not just accept being brought into somebody else's idea because they themselves are big enough mm-hmm. to perhaps want it all. Do you think that's or it's possible? Be the top? It's mm-hmm. possible, but when you realize that those who rule China today uh, behind the scenes, they're, they're big, very old Chinese families. Uh, I've got photographs of, of some of the states that they own, just like Grecian palaces. You wouldn't believe what they've built. Mm-hmm. Um, and they still run China from behind the scenes. The old power structure of China may have a new face called communism, but it's still the same bosses that are behind it. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much. And thanks for calling. Now, well, Clarence from Oklahoma will try to squeeze you in, Clarence. Are you there? Yes, hi, Alan. How are you? Oh, well, I can't complain, but it's never done me any good. That's true. But, uh, I don't know, I see we're getting close to the time on the clock, but yep. uh, uh, you were talking about the commoners and the, and the elite. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember a local DJ on one of our radio stations, oh, many years ago. I, remember, I don't know why I remember these things. Uh, remember when Lord Mountbatten got blown up by supposedly the IRA or yeah. whatever it was? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was supposedly Charles, Prince Charles' favorite uncle. That's right. Uh, tricky, put on Tricky Dicky. Yeah. Yeah. For, and for uh, <laughs> this DJ made the mistake of saying that uh, he was a commoner. Yeah. Someone called to correct him and said, no, he's part of royalty. Yeah. And he said, well, yeah, I stand corrected. He said, however, I did once see him wipe his mouth on his sleeve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mind you, it's gold-braided, so that's okay. Well, from Hamish myself, Ontario, Canada, it's good night, and your God, all your gods go with you.